BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to a weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Thank you all for indulging my quick vacation, as it were, last weekend. But let's get right back into it. While I talk about big round raises and startups and venture all the time, we haven't really done a deep dive into where venture is at at the moment. So who better to talk to than Crunchbase? And in this case, Crunchbase's Jason Rowley. Today, the state of venture in 2019, and we especially get into the modern phenomenon of mega rounds, even hyper giant rounds, raises of $250 million or more. Those never used to happen, and they happen all the time now. We just talked about one of those just this week. SoftBank contributes to them all the time. How has that changed the landscape? And how has that created or influenced the unicorn ecosystem that is currently being harvested, as it were? My thanks to Jason Rally for a great conversation. So let's just start with um, where venture is at the moment i think like 2018 broke like all-time records in terms of i guess maybe dollar figures and things like that but uh, you know but sorry and and deal volume as well deal volume and dollar figures but uh because i get your guys's newsletter every morning um i believe that at least um in q1 for 2019 we're down a little bit uh, yeah, it kind of depends on which end of the market you're looking at. Um, uh, if I had some numbers, I would love to show you. But uh, so like at the end of so Q4 2018, you know, we saw about ninety two point uh, five billion dollars or thereabouts invested globally uh, in uh, private technology enabled companies um, with high growth potential. Uh, and in Q1 of 2019, we saw about $75 billion. So still a whole lot of money, but, you know, still off by uh, about $18 billion. It's so, I mean, I guess that's just natural if, you know, you can't, you can't hit all-time records every single year. Correct. Um, there, is there any sort of um, carryover from, like, the China thing, like the, the slowdown in, in, in China tech and stuff like that? Is that having any kind of effect on the numbers? Certainly on... So, I mean, the so at, at Crunchbase News, we're very interested in this phenomenon that we've sort of described as, like, super giant venture capital rounds. And we call them that. It's a reference to, uh, like, super giant stars, which are very massive and they shine extremely brightly, you know, sort of more brightly than all their uh, other sort of stellar neighbors. And uh, similarly, these sort of super giant venture capital rounds uh, shine, you know, brightest in the media uh, and, and in the, the minds of, uh, of, of, you know, folks who consume and use these services. Um, but these rounds make up a very, very small percentage of the overall deal count. So, the fact that we've seen slightly less or fewer supergiant rounds uh, 
doesn't really have any effect on deal volume, but it does have a lot of effect on dollar volume. And yeah, we've seen a really massive drop off in these really, really big deals um, in China. Uh, and that is likely correlated in some way with the economic difficulties um, or, or, con- or growth constraints that uh, that economy is, is, uh, is looking at going forward. Let's try to... Um Let's try to define that term a little bit. These mega rounds, these hypergiant rounds, or whatever you, you just said you're yeah. calling them, um, they're, they're VC rounds that are like more than $250 million or something like that? Yeah, so we've, so perhaps, uh, perhaps unwisely, we, uh, we've, we've broken this in, for our analysis, we've broken these into like two different size classes. Um, and what we've sort of referred to as the supergiant rounds are this, hundred million dollars to about 250 million dollars there was a time when we could have reported on all of them you know as they occur but now like these super giant vc rounds are literally an everyday or multiple you know round per day uh event right i've got a number um, exactly from your site there were 103 super giant vc rounds raising 100 million dollars or more reported in q1 of 2019 averaging more than one per day Yes, exactly. Um, and in order to get a more uh, constrained view on the, you know, on this part of the market, you know, this very high end, uh, high valuation, high dollar uh, sets of deals, we ended up somewhat arbitrarily uh, uh, decided to cover these rounds that are $250 million and above. Um, and those have primarily been in uh very capital intense businesses. So a lot of uh, stuff in transportation and urban mobility. Um, so big ride hailing services like Grab and uh, Gojek have raised, you know, billions of dollars recently. Um, obviously there's all the scooter companies as well. Um, and then there's also this other dimension of companies in the like real estate space. So there's been a lot of uh, companies including, uh, let me pull up my notes, uh, including like Open Door and OfferPad that have very recently raised, you know, over $250 million in rounds such that they can go out and buy uh, houses which they hold and then in turn sell those back to uh, consumers rather than simply like brokering the deal themselves. So uh, I, I guess what we're seeing is, is very capital intense Business models, you know, among upstarts, uh, finding fund, they're being able to find funding uh, still in private markets. Right. So, I mean, that makes sense. So there's certain things where it's like, well, this, what we're trying to do is super capital intensive. So, you know, we need to raise 30, 50, 100. 50, 100 million. Right, right. But at the same time, like, there didn't used to be rounds this size for a very good reason because there wasn't un- money sloshing around <laughs> to this scale. Is, yeah. So is the fact that we exist in this universe now of these mega rounds and, and super giant rounds and things like that, is it solely because of things like sovereign wealth funds and, and basically SoftBank? I wouldn't say solely, but I would say, you know, that, that the, uh, that interest from sovereign wealth funds, you know, investing in 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 funds like the uh, the SoftBank Vision Fund is definitely a contributing factor, uh, because 
I mean, especially in the case of sovereign wealth funds, you're seeing a lot of money come from countries that were formerly dependent on uh, on like oil extraction as their primary means of of like economic uh, development and their source of national wealth. Um, but as the, you know, broader political and, uh, you know, economic uh, tide sort of shift away from, you know, really carbon intense uh, uh, industries, you know, these co- these countries need to find other means to generate, you know, outsized returns from their uh, from funds that they've set aside. And uh, it turns out that uh, a lot of them are making bets on high growth uh, technology businesses uh, as that alternative to, um, you know, to 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 their previous, uh, you know, economic models. So the money has to go somewhere. And I it guess does. maybe it's so there's just that there's just that that basic fact. It's got to go somewhere. You know, um, the interest rates around the world are crazy low. So, you know, people have pointed yep. that out. It's like it's sort of an accident of history that this is the time period that we're in. But is it also a function of I guess the model has been proven enough that like, you know, enough people now in the two decades since the bubble bursts are like, well, this Internet stuff is for real. And uh-huh. it's a tidal wave of history, and let's get in front of it. Is that also part of it? So, because again, like it's not just you used to. Well, I'm going to invest thirty million with an M dollars in this company that might become the next Facebook and be worth half a trillion dollars. But no, sure. I'm going to go ahead and invest two hundred fifty million. <laughs> like, so is well, it just like? It, well, it's. it's uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's like I'm going to invest two hundred fifty million dollars into a business that might peak out at like. Uh, you know, ten billion or fifteen billion or twenty billion dollars in market cap. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the businesses that are being funded today are these like really, really capital intense, uh, you know, sorts of uh, sorts of organizations and sorts of business models. Uh, and you know, there's a there is reason to question whether you know investors today are going to be able to see. Uh, uh, you know, Facebook scale returns from businesses that have a very, very different cost structure uh, from, you know, than something like Facebook. Well, not and, to pick on Facebook, but. right, right. Yeah. I'm just using them as like the most prominent example of maybe yes. the, the previous generation. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. 
Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Um, that kind of touches on something that I've been poking around at on the show, the idea that these unicorns, this, this class of unicorns that is coming to market now, um, because of the nature of companies can stay private for much, mm-hmm. much longer. And, and again, people are willing to throw gobs of money at them so they don't need to go to public markets to raise capital. Um, this notion that now these unicorns, they're coming to, to market at almost their fully mature stages. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I didn't report on it today, but, you know, um, Lyft's uh, prices has been dropping since its IPO and things. So, like, the idea that investors are maybe getting wise to the fact that, well, we there's no there's no piece of the pie for us left. Like it's all, all the, all the upside has been captured by, by the, the private market investors. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there might be something to that. I've been, you know, thinking a lot about that as well, although I, I don't think I've really written much about it publicly. Um, but I still think that there's lots of room for, um, there's lots of room for upside, especially in these, in, in smaller sort of like software as a service uh, or like business to business oriented uh, companies that are going public. Uh, Zoom, for example. I just, uh, is, I just, I'm doing a segment on them today. This is Wednesday, by the way, for those of uh, you listening. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, Zoom is, uh, uh, well, I, there's all sorts of puns that can be made about its name and, and all the rest. But, you know, Zoom is, uh, it's a company that is, uh, you know, very profitable and, and growing. Uh, you know, at a hundred percent year over year. Yeah. Yeah. At at an incredibly rapid clip. And, and I think that, you know, if, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an active, uh, day-to-day investor, but you know, if, if I was, I would be looking at opportunities, you know, where, where like the markets themselves haven't been quite so, you know, well-developed yet. So transportation, it's a known, you know, it's a known entity, you know, these large ride hailing, uh, services, I guess, are ultimately competing against car ownership itself, you know, and so in theory, they have a really giant ad- addressable market, but they're the path to getting to, you know, a, uh, a, a place where we don't own cars or where all the cars drive themselves, or in the case of these scooter and bike companies where uh, cities don't have cars and everybody gets around on scooters, bikes, or some sort of combination thereof. Um, like that's all sort of 
long and far in the distance. But, uh, you know, trends like remote work, you know, to use Zoom as an example, you know, I work remotely from Chicago uh, and at Crunchbase News, we organize all of our meetings on Zoom. uh, And I don't see this remote work thing uh, really dying out anytime soon. And so, you know, companies like Zoom, companies like Slack, uh, other, you know, similar types of services. I, th- I think that those, those organizations have a lot more room to grow, um, as they, as they sort of develop their own market, uh, over time. Yeah. The, it's almost like you got to categorize it as, you know, the almost cloud computing or software as a service. I think Alison Griswold, um, sort of, uh, wrote recently about like describing zoom, making it more akin to other SaaS companies and, and cloud computing companies. And then getting those sorts of multiples is, I guess what zoom is going for. Um, so the, one of the, uh, other, uh, side sort of things that happens by these unicorns being able to uh, raise gobs of money and stay private for so long that you guys have written about recently is because this is so key and people overlook this to the whole ecosystem in tech is that they can uh, acquire start becoming acquirers themselves long mm-hmm. before they're established, long before they go public, long before anything like yep. that. Like if you've got, uh, if you've been able to raise two and a half, ten, twenty billion dollars, like you can go out and be an acquirer. Um, and, and so these companies are starting to become acquirers much earlier in their life cycles as well. Yeah. And I think that, um, I mean, and so I've done a fair bit of, of analysis on this. Actually, one of the first articles that was published on Crunchbase News was an analysis of when uh, unicorns, you know, these billion dollar uh, nominally private companies uh, start acquiring uh, competitors or, or, you know, whatever. And yeah, we have found that companies that are founded in more recent years also start making their first acquisitions earlier. And this, I think, is part of a broader sort of strategic push toward uh, being able to scale your business incredibly quickly or being able to scale your, uh, in the case of like an aqua hire sort of situation, being able to scale your, your product or your, um, or your technical team, you know, really quickly. Uh, and, and yeah, like this M&A has become just another tool in the toolkit for uh for executives of these most successful uh private companies to uh sort of cement their position uh in the market you know both in the present and sort of position themselves to be uh the sort of like big dominant player in the future um and this could have some sort of risk going forward uh, depending on, you know, the regulatory situation right. and how all that stuff unfolds. Right, because there's all this talk about, you know, when they talk about um, Elizabeth Warren specifically, like, you know, um, unwinding old, old acquisitions, they're talking, like, almost literally about, like, you know, Facebook acquiring Instagram, Instagram and, and like WhatsApp. That. So, like, yeah. it, it used to be that we would think, well, um, 
young companies, not yet public companies, get a pass on this sort of thing because there's no way that, that it could be anti-competitive because they're not even established yet and things like that. Right. But you're saying that now because of that, because these companies have so much money behind them, even when they're still what we would think of as nascent and in the startup stages, like maybe the government will start to look closer at a what we would consider to be a completely young and unproven company making suddenly a $250 million acquisition or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm floating it as a possibility. Uh, obviously there is a, I, I'm not going to make any, uh, predictions about, you know, what, en- what ends up happening in, uh, in 2020, um, one way or the other, uh, cause well, it's a long time between now and then. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a non-zero chance that, uh, that, that there will be a, a president in the white house, um, that is much more mindful of uh, antitrust and, uh, and, and, and anti-competitive uh, issues going forward. And that would reflect in their, uh, in their regulatory regime. 